The following is a teaching message from the chapel in Tiatatu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz. God, we come before you this morning, and we do, we glorify you, Lord. We lift your name up. Father, we bring before you every person sitting here today, and Lord, members of this chapel who aren't here today, God. I, I want to lift up specifically Margaret Aspen, Lord, as she's unwell at this stage. And I want to pray for her, Lord, that your healing would come to her, that she would experience your peace right now. God, any other member of this congregation who is unwell, Lord, we ask for your healing too. And we ask for that peace that surpasses all understanding to be with us all. In your name we pray, amen. Please be seated. And this morning's passage is from uh, Genesis 25. And it talks about the, the death of Abraham. Um, a couple of months ago, might have been earlier, Brian came to Mike and I. And he said, hey, um, I'm considering this coming months, who's going to preach where, so on and so forth, and gave us a couple of dates that he was eager to have someone um, preach. And so you'll notice he's not here today, he's away, um, and I'm the man who gets to uh, take his place this morning. And as I was reading this passage initially, it was a week or two before um, the passing of great-granddad, and at that time I knew that he was... And well, and so when I came back and I revisited it in, in preparation for this morning, I couldn't help but um, to see parallels between it. I know for me, great-granddad, I, I met him about a decade ago, and um, a couple of things that he loved was a smoker, and not a literal smoking of a cigarette, I'm sorry, uh, but for him that was, that was morning tea or afternoon tea. And so whenever we would travel to go and see him when he was down at Papamoa, You'd always plan to be there either for 10 a.m. or 3 p.m. Because then you could join him in Smoker. And um, that is kind of a small little thing that for me I remember. I know for the likes of Brian and for Margaret and for his grandchildren, there was so much more to his life that he gave them. Um, the faith that he had. And so I see here, having worked our way through the story of Abraham, there was so much in this man's life that he had given, that we get to see, but that his family experienced too. And so today I note that um, our passage sees the end of an era and the, the passing of a torch. Um, and when I considered the life that Abraham had lived, even though we're talking today about the death, I had two questions. And that was, what was it that Abraham built in his lifetime? And whether that be what we're talking about, legacy, whether we talk about that in a practical sense or we're talking about that in a spiritual sense. And then to echo what you're saying, Marcus, what was it that he inherited? And early on in the story of Abraham, in Genesis chapter 12, we come to hear of this huge and grand promise that God had. And that promise is referred to time and again throughout the story of Abraham. In chapter 17, 
God and Abraham are having a conversation and it says, I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. And at this time, it's in this chapter that we go from Abraham to Abraham and from Sarai to Sarah. And he says to him, regarding your wife, she'll no longer go by this name. Her name will be Sarah. And yes, I will bless her richly. She will become a mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. If you don't know who she's referring to, we talk about the likes of David and then ultimately our king, Jesus. But in that covenant, promises were given too. And on a very practical or right in front of you level, God had told Abraham that he would have a son. You will have a son who will be your heir. And in reference to Sarah, I will bless her and I will give her a son from you. Beyond that promise, we also see here that there was that grander idea, that building of nations. And throughout Genesis, as you can see down the bottom there in chapter 12, and 13 and 15, we see this echo. You will be a great nation. I will make you famous. You will be a blessing to others. All of the families on earth will be blessed through you. I will give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. For Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation, and all of the nations of earth will be blessed through him. Coming back to that idea of a son. Some more scriptures there. Chapter 18, I will return to you about this time next year. Your wife Sarah will have a son. And the Lord kept his word, and he did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant. She gave birth to the son of Abraham, son for Abraham in his old age. And so when we're considering the death of Abraham, and we look back on his life, we see that there was this incredible destiny that he had, that God had planned for him. That not only was there this son, this heir, who would be an inheritor, of all that he had built in his lifetime. But he too inherited this incredible promise of being the father of faith and establishing great nations. And so, for those of you familiar with Abraham's story, whether it be something as simple as the fact that he was known as the father of faith, or that time when he was asked to sacrifice his son Isaac, you might see this next part of our passage and you might be like, yeah, I knew that. Some of you might be surprised that Isaac and Ishmael weren't his only children and that Sarah wasn't his only wife. In chapter 25, verse 1, it says that Abraham married another wife whose name was Keturah. That's what we're going to call her today, whether that's how we pronounce it or not. She gave birth to Zimran, Jokshan, Madan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. And then we see that one of those sons had another two children. And that child, their descendants were these clans, tribes, the Asherites, Legishites, and Lemuites. And the Midian sons, or the Midianites, as we see later in the Bible, sons were Ephah, Ephur, 
Hanok, Abida, and Elder. They were all descendants of Abraham through Keturah. And I know what you're thinking. How did Andy end up with his third genealogy? If you've been here earlier, two of the passages of Genesis that I've had to preach through were genealogies. But there's more to this than that there. But when I read through this passage, I had a couple of thoughts. So we see, we see six children for Abraham, seven grandchildren, and then specifically three nations mentioned. And if you consider what I've just shared with you that's come up time and again throughout Genesis, that idea of building a great nation, this looks like a good start. And the first thought I had was, okay, I wonder whether this is the fulfillment of that promise that we'd learned about through Genesis. Was this the plan that God had had to build this great nation? But then, for me, because I was not so familiar with the life that Abraham had led, when I came and I read this passage, I was very surprised to find out that he had another wife, not at the same time as the other one, that one had passed, and that he had had more children too. And so the second thought that kind of crossed my mind was, just like Ishmael, who in my summary, is the outworking of that burden that Sarah felt that she could not deliver on. And so she'd gone by her own means, her mortal means, to try and create a son for Abraham through her servant Hagar. And I wondered, does this kind of echo that, that, yep, sure, this can be factored in, we know that God wouldn't have not foreseen this coming, but was this his divine plan? Now, unfortunately, I'm giving you questions that I can't answer, because the details that we have of the majority of these people feature here, and then again in 1 Chronicles when they recount that lineage. But when we read the next verse, we might have somewhat of an answer to that question. Was this God's true and ultimate fulfillment of that covenant, that promise of a great nation, or was it perhaps just another aspect of Abraham's life that counted towards it, but wasn't the original plan. In verses 5 and 6, it says that Abraham gave everything he owned to his son Isaac. I don't know about you, i got one child, so this, this looks familiar. She will inherit everything I have. Think about Mike, he's got three children. Nathaniel, how would you feel if you were the one who got everything? It'd be pretty cool. But I wonder how Josiah and Michaela might feel. And for those of you with multiple children, how would you be placed? What is it that you're communicating to us here or to that family that you gave everything you owned to your son Isaac? And I know that if we go back and we look earlier in Genesis, and we see that Abraham received that promise of an heir through Sarah, that it would make sense that things are given to him. But we're also told in that same verse that before he died, he did give gifts to the sons of his concubines and sent them off to the land in the east, away from Isaac. My, uh, my father, some of you may know him, John, he sits at the back, he probably makes some comments. It's fun. Second-hand embarrassment. <laughs> but he, he had a, uh, a wife before my mother, and he had a child through her too. And... Um, they had an interesting life. I won't give you all the details, but his first wife wasn't ultimately kind to him in the stories that she shared about him with her daughter. And he spent a long, long portion of his life not in relationship with her. And then later on in life she came, and 
the relationship was much the way of her reliance upon him. And so I think for a while there, when I was 12, every weekend we'd have one of his grandchildren. She'd go and work, and she moved in next door, and that was the extent of their relationship. And uh, without giving you too many details, that's kind of the extent that the relationship reached. And so I know that when they talk about the passing that they would have, they're very specifically put in their will that she will receive this and this alone, and then we have that. And so when I read here that he'd given gifts and sent them off away from Isaac, I wonder whether he foresaw the potential tension that could arise. And so he'd said, hey, here's your portion. Here you go. I know the divinity through which Isaac came, and I know what he will fulfill the kings that will come from his ancestry or his descendants. So when I read this passage, I do wonder, how does this, the four verses before it and these verses sit in the context of it? And I like that, what you said, Marcus, I'm the same. How does this fit within where we're looking? And so I see here that these sons that we see mentioned, and perhaps there's more because he gave gifts to the heirs, of all of his concubines, the sons of all of his concubines. I don't know if concubines means there were two, or maybe there were seven, or there were, you know, on the level of other kings like Solomon. But they're not the primary heirs of the covenant. However, they're still included in the biblical narrative. It acknowledges their existence and the contributions that they make to various nations and tribes. And I think that this paints a picture of a God who cares, who is faithful, who is powerful, and who is sovereign. That he can take this event happening and recognizes that he can still care for them. But our passage continues. And we see that Abraham lived for 175 years. He died at a ripe old age. What a phrase. He lived a long and satisfying life. He breathed his last and joined his ancestors in death. I want to pause for a moment and just let you look at what I've underscored and bolded there. Ripe old age, long and satisfying life, joined his ancestors in death. I feel there's a real beauty to that passage. Knowing all that we do about Abraham's life, his triumphs, his toils, his mistakes, his successes, despite all that had been, he died at a ripe old age, having lived a long and satisfying life, joining his ancestors in death. I feel that that is a fitting end for what we know to be an incredible man. And I think the next verses that come along really add beauty to that passage. In verses 9 and 10, we see that Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the same cave that his wife was buried. A few weeks ago, we would have heard of, about the death and the burial of Sarah and this back and forth that Abraham has with one of the kings, the Hittite king. And he purchases this land and the and the man wants to just give it to him. He's like, no, I'm going to buy it. No, 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 back and forth. But these two sons, if you remember correctly, Sarah and Hagar 
weren't exactly the best of friends. And you can kind of understand that there might have been some tension here. Ishmael being the eldest, but not necessarily the rightful heir or... I won't say the next part. But they came together. And I wonder what stories that they would have told. How they would have remembered, how they would have celebrated the life of their father. I wonder what the relationship Ishmael had with his father looked like after being sent away to the wilderness and growing there. We know that God still provided for Ishmael. He cared for him. And it's in a moment like this that two words come to mind. Mortality, and as I mentioned, legacy. When I think of that first, that mortality, I'm reminded that even great figures of faith come to an end. And in doing so, they remind us of our reliance on God's promise for eternal inheritance. And I think it it underscores as well that God has a plan for his chosen people, and it's unfolding in accordance with his divine timetable. But even in Abraham's passing, there's something left. Author Richard Puz says that death leaves a heartache no one can heal. Love leaves a memory that no one can steal. This thought was resonant for me going back to what I was wondering earlier, what it was that Isaac and Ishmael exchanged as they talked about his legacy. And I got hooked on this thought, this idea of legacy. It makes sense that we see this incredible figure of faith pass. Legacy is a natural sort of conclusion or thought to arrive to. I don't know if you agree. Some head nods yet? So I was kind of surprised to find and coming back to your thought, Bill, earlier about words and their meaning, there's not a, a word that solely captures the idea of legacy as we know it. In the Hebrew language, there is not one word that means legacy, the idea of something that is left behind, that memory that's created. But there are three words that hold a similar meaning. We have zakah, which means to remember or to recall. It's tied closely to the idea of passing down traditions and stories. We have toldot. I'm probably pronouncing these horrendously, but you get the general gist. That is translated as generations or history, and it's used to denote a narrative of one's descendants or the history of a particular line or family. So when we see these genealogies and, and these stories of ancestral heritage mentioned, that's what we're talking about. And then we have Yorash. The Hebrew word that's often translated as inherit or possess. And it's used in contexts where the idea of passing down something, such as land or blessings, including that in Genesis 15, that idea that all of Abraham's descendants would inherit that land of Canaan, after Lot leaves and he says, look north and south and east and west, everything you see, your descendants will inherit this. And so I wonder, as much as what it was that Abraham inherited, that covenant, what was it that Isaac inherited through the life of Abraham? And our last verse gives us context for that. After Abraham's death, God blessed his son Isaac, 
who settled in that place. God blessed his son Isaac. The Hebrew word used there is Barak, Obama, or Barak. And this word is used in several other contexts and passages within the Bible. And so I went and I was looking through them, hoping to get some sense of what that word means, blessing. Because I think, again, coming back to what you're sharing this morning, Bill, blessing is sometimes, or blessed is a word that holds traditional meaning in the Christian context that's not always a complete entity of what it actually represents. But all of the verses kind of just said, oh, and God blessed them, and God said a blessing on them, and he blessed them. And so I went a little bit deeper, and I looked at the circumstances that followed their lives, and those were the types of circumstances, the outcomes that might exist if someone was blessed. It's like how gay always gets a chocolate every Sunday. <laughs> Favour. But we see prosperity, we see fruitfulness, protection, health, well-being, success, favour, joy, contentment, spiritual growth, harmony, peace, and generosity. And in Isaac's life, we see this. His birth was a miracle. For his mother to be as old as she was when she gave birth is nothing short of favour on her life and on his. We see favour and joy and contentment in his marriage to Rebecca. If you remember... Um, that was just last week, the giving of a wife and the circumstances around what had happened to find her. And in that last verse of Genesis 24, it says that he loved her deeply and she was a special comfort to him after the death of his mother. We see protection, favor, success and fruitfulness in his life. In the next passage that we read in Genesis 26, maybe not the direct next one, but that next chapter, he had a conflict with the Philistines. And despite all of that, those disputes, etc., he still prospered. We see harmony and peace later on in that same chapter as he reconciled with Abimelech. Under the covenant that he entered, it ensured that there was success for his family. We will come to unpack these a little bit more. But we also see health and well-being. Isaac outlived his father 180 years. Again, it says ripe old age. And once again, he was buried in that same cave as his mother, his father, and his wife. And so this incredible passage that we've read, and the scripture that we know about God's faithfulness, his care, his power, his divinity, I feel that it demonstrates that in so many ways. But I think for me, what's most notable about this passage is also what's most subtle about it. And that is for the past 13 chapters, we have explored the life of Abraham, the father of our faith. But in this passage, we experience the transition of one biblical narrative to the next, the passing of that generation from the story of Abraham to the story of Isaac. And in doing so, we see this family legacy continue and the Abrahamic covenant, those promises that were given, they're given down to the next generation. And I couldn't help but see a similarity between this and a book that I'm reading at the moment. I don't know if you've seen the book Legacy by James Kerr. It discusses the culture crisis that the All Blacks experienced. And under the supervision of one of the coaches, I don't really pay attention to sport, I'm sorry, I can't name it, maybe Steve Hansen. But under the guidance of someone, 
they saw a regeneration of what was this incredible legacy that they held. And in one of the chapters, they're talking about a similar story that happened with the Crusaders. And according to them, it's probably the most successful super rugby outfit in the entire league. And something had happened early on where they brought the players in and together they established the values by which they wanted to live. And interestingly enough, we see some of these. The Crusaders, they remembered and they recalled the greatness of the players who came before them. They talked about the history of the jersey, and in doing so, they understood what it was that they inherited. And it was an acknowledging who had come before them, who had worn the jersey before them, and knowing what they inherited, that they considered this. What is it that we have inherited how is it that we can build on this? How can we add to the legacy? And that's the question I have for you today. How can we add to the legacy? I'll, I'll leave you to make personal connections of what that means if we're talking family and who it is that comes before you. But I want to put here to you this place that we sit today. And if you sit here on any given Sunday, you hear various people talk about what it is that they feel is a promise that is given to us, a place that we hold in this community. And so I want you to wonder about the great men and women who have worshipped and fellowshiped here before us. Some are still sitting in this congregation who have been here for decades. They sat alongside others who had been here for decades. And I want you to wonder, what is it here that we have inherited what is it that each of us can do to build and how can we add to the legacy? Thank you. Thank you for listening to this message from the chapel in Te Atatū. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz or email info at thechapel.org.nz.